Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good afternoon, folks. This is Dave Thompson. I'm the director of the uh, Academy of Cleaning Excellence here out of Orlando, Florida. And as you have probably already found out, we just do a podcast whenever we've got somebody that wants to talk about things in the cleaning industry. You know that I always want to talk about it, but you didn't well chime in today to listen to me talk for another 45 minutes on all the same stuff that I do every time that I'm on. So that being said, Jeremiah Gray is the Chief Innovation Officer for EarthSafe. And he wants to talk about, well, some of the theatrics that's going on, some changes and enhancements to cleaning due to the COVID pandemic. First of all, let's make sure that Jeremiah Gray is on with us because we usually have a little bit of a challenge getting people on. I'm uh, finally on, Dave. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good enough, Jeremiah. Uh, well, we are live on Podbean Live, so we might get a caller every once in a while, Jer- Jeremiah, that might say, hey, I want to talk about something, so don't be surprised if uh, we, we have that uh, come in. Theatrics. Let's first of all, I guess, explain who you are, what you do, and why you're here today. Yeah, thank you. And um, I, I would love to hear a caller and, and welcome any input or, or feedback. It's been uh, quite an extraordinary year. And um, again, my name is Jeremiah Gray. I'm co-founder and chief innovation officer of EarthSafe Chemical Alternatives. Uh, we're a, a company that's focused on developing uh, broad holistic infection prevention programs uh, that typically when we launched this in the marketplace several years ago was was focused in the the healthcare sector, um, both the acute care space, you know, hospitals and such, um, as well as nursing homes. And we developed a, quite a robust, comprehensive program uh, focused around improving best practices for reducing infection rates um, within these facilities. Uh, in the four years, roughly since we've we launched our, our solutions and uh, into the marketplace, we've we've become acutely aware of uh, some some key aspects of programs that uh, pretty much universally across the board uh, can be can be improved upon. And they're not they're not the most overly complex discussion topics, uh, but they're some of the most uh, important. So uh, what, what I'm here to talk about today largely is, you know, obviously the, the world has turned on its head over the past seven months. And we've seen, you know, a, a tremendous response, uh, a tremendous amount of great things happening in response to the, to the global pandemic and national emergency in terms of first responders and people stepping up to, to do what they can to um, you know, tamp, tamp down or, or quell the, the negative impact of the virus. 
Um, but at the same time, we've seen a, a, an extraordinary struggle amongst the people that are tasked on the front line with with keeping people safe and and healthy and uh, you know slowly allowing for the reopening of, of the economy. Uh, yet at the same time, they're, they're more cash and resource constrained than they ever have been before. So where we had challenges in 2017, 2018 with uh, identifying latent inefficiencies and cleaning and disinfection programs that um, you know, could better utilize the staff to keep, keep buildings healthier and safer, uh, those challenges are, um, are magnified exponentially now. Well, I think that's right. Everything that we do now is being looked at even more technically than we ever have. And I think to that point, we have a lot of misconceptions uh, that's happened. We've got people getting into this industry that have never before been in it, and they're just taking basically anything that they can pull out of thin air and saying they're doing it. I, I like what you said earlier there, Jeremiah best practices. A lot of these people don't know what best practices are. Uh, that's absolutely true. And, you know, it's, it's, there are a lot of great, great things that regulatory agencies have, have done. Uh, sometimes regulation gets a, gets a bad rap. Um, but, you know, when the Joint Commission came together several years ago and put forth their best practice recommendations for reducing hospital acquired infections, um, you know, it's a it's a fairly exhaustive list of recommendations that they made. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish any wish it on anybody to have to read through the eight hundred page uh, guidebook that that's put out by them and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services on on best practices for that. But um, you know, it's it's really where the industry should aspire to get to. And the challenges all along have been, you know, okay, here's an ideal scenario for for reducing infection rates and, and lowering the number of deaths due to you know any number of, of infections that somebody could contract in a, in a hospital, for instance. But how do we get there? Because uh, oftentimes there's not enough money in the budget, there's not enough people on hand and staff. Uh, so it, it really becomes a process optimization discussion more than anything. You know, you don't necessarily have to throw another $100,000 at the problem to bring in new advanced tools uh, or necessarily introduce more chemicals to the equation. We, we feel that there's plenty of chemicals out there already. There's probably too much. Um, but really figuring out how to utilize them them in the best way possible so that um, you know every minute that we spend and throw at this problem, uh, we're maximizing the results and the output that we get from it. And that's perfectly achievable. I think that what we've found ourselves in right now, Jeremiah, and tell me if you believe differently, is that we haven't received the amount of budget to be able to have the staff and to educate them on why they're doing what they're doing for many, many years. And so we've been running at a deficit so long and so deep that when you go completely to the other side where we're now trying to do everything and and put way more people and effort to it that this is two ends of the spectrum where we should have been somewhere in the middle to begin with when we came into this absolutely and i I empathize so much with the environmental services director we go in and we speak to and they they lay out what their their goals are what they're tasked with this year and oftentimes it's you know we didn't reduce our infection rates by 15 percent this year compared to last, uh, but 
I have to do it with um, 20% less budget allocated to my department than I had last year. Or we just had to cut three people from our staff, but they're expecting us to do more with less. And I think that was, to your point, that the environment that, that we've been in for the past couple of years before the pandemic even started. Um, and now in this, in this you know, on, ongoing response to COVID and the post-COVID era, so to speak, whenever that, that comes to light, uh, we're now going to have even even more extraordinary expectations and demands placed on uh, the housekeeping staff and uh, infection prevention experts and all these people that are are tasked with proper cleaning and disinfection and sanitation of these facilities. Um, sometimes four to five times the workload that that was expected before is is what's now going to be required in this new normal, so to speak, going forward. Um, but a proportionate amount of money, budget, and resources is not is not being thrown at them to to be able to support that. So how do you get there? Uh, and that's that's what dominates the majority of our our discussions in our business with with customers that are are looking for solutions in terms of more effective, efficient equipment, uh, you know, safer, uh, more effective chemical options uh, that that their staff can utilize. Um, but more importantly, expertise. You know, te- teach us how to better utilize the tools that we have at, on hand because we're no, we know we're not as efficient as we need to be. Uh, and oftentimes with, with the right process optimization and, and the right approach at, you know, taking a look at existing cleaning protocols, um, making them more efficient uh, through standardization, consolidation of chemical options, uh, you know, reduction in the, in the complexity of training protocols and guidelines for safe and effective use. Uh, we can people make people a lot uh, a lot more effective and efficient in the way they go about their day-to-day cleaning and disinfection. Uh, so there's tremendous opportunity out there. I think you're right. We we do not here at the academy have a lot of hospital or healthcare orientated people uh, in our classes. We do have courses for that, but I would say the majority of the students that come here to classes are in uh, general cleaning, public education, colleges, universities, uh, resorts, uh, et cetera. Do you, have you been in the other segments other than healthcare yet? Uh, very, very much so. So we, um, it, it's a good segue and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because if where we felt that we, we were fortunate in being able to, to really educate uh, and deliver value to other non-healthcare related industries is that we had spent two, three years vetting um, our solutions out in some of the top healthcare institutions in the country. Um, Kaiser Permanente, NYU Langone Medical Center, a lot of a lot of facilities and institutions that are held out there as thought leaders uh, and pioneers from an epidemiology standpoint or infection prevention standpoint had, had run clinical trials and studies that had, had validated that all of our cleaning protocols and disinfection programs work and they work incredibly well. Uh, the nice thing is when we turned over into 20, 2020 and you know the, the COVID response began, um, we were able to apply 95% of what we had learned and, and these protocols that we had developed in the healthcare space to pretty much every other industry out there. Uh, that needed a hospital-grade solution in response to COVID, but at the same time didn't have the, the hired expertise, the staff, and the quote-unquote trained experts uh, to be able to implement and follow through with these things. 
So I think it, it, it shine the spotlight on the fact that having turnkey programs that are, are backed by solid and sound data, um, but also were simplistic enough to be scaled across, uh, you know, facilities of any, any size or staff of any size, uh, whether it be a school, whether it be a hotel chain, um, restaurants or, or any number of other in- industries. Um, we were able to very successfully take that knowledge in, in the hospital space and, and apply it very effectively in, in all these other industries and really deliver value um, without the need for them to hire outside expertise to be able, be able to come in and, and help run these programs. I think you're, you're, you're spot on there, Jeremiah, because here at the Academy, we have had a tremendous uptick and student participation in the education courses that we've been providing for several years where they didn't have the time was one of the things uh, or let's say that was the excuse uh, we don't have the time to uh, sit them in front of a computer or listen to you uh, just give us a 20-minute version and as you know 20-minute version doesn't work here um, and the other thing was is as you said we didn't have the budget all of a sudden we had the time and somehow or another, everybody came up with the budget because they've been sending hundreds of people through courses. Have you had the same and do you think that's gonna continue? Uh, we do, it, it's, it's all about prioritization, right? Um, you know, it's, it always strikes me that people can invest money in, in preventative and proactive measures to reduce infection out, infectious outbreaks, whether you're a university or whether you're a daycare or, or a hotel chain. Um, and they, they typically tend to nickel and dime on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then when the outbreak happens and you have a norovirus outbreak that takes down 10% of the student population and uh, there's a massive panic, you know, it, instantly somebody's able to find uh, the several hundred thousand dollars in the budget that it takes to do a full-scale uh, outbreak response to to help quell the quell the outbreak. Um, so the money is there. It, it's just a, a matter of prioritization, and typically, it is as I think the the country's mindset usually lends itself to you know, pr- providing the antibiotic as opposed to prescribing the, the vaccine. And that's a shift that we see, uh, thankfully, happening in the industry right now, is that we, we do see people being more proactive and preventative in, in, the, in nature with how they roll these programs out and how they, they prioritize their investments, uh, as opposed to waiting for the outbreak to happen. Because now, you know, what, what used to be a hypothetical, uh, is now very easily quantifiable in terms of the opportunity cost of, of not investing in comprehensive infection pre- prevention programs uh, across any industry, regardless of what business you're in. So that's kind of the upside, if you will, to what has happened this year, although the challenges have been massive and uh, they are not, well, we're not through with the challenges yet, but the upside is, is people recognizing that there is protocols there are standards, and uh, something that you keep saying, and I term it a little differently. You know, what's the sense of doing all this if we can't measure the outcome of that and and verify with data the I don't know the the processes that people believe are correct? And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I um so in 
in, in the talking points when when I sent this off, it was you know number two was was termed the upside of of COVID, and that's that's a real delicate thing to say. It's it's unfortunate that uh, a tragedy of such epic proportions sometimes is what's what's necessary to force change. Um, but I, I've always held, and I think it, it plays out time and time again that you know people are are naturally averse to change at all costs. Um, and oftentimes it, it seems that you know the only times people really change is that when is when the the pain of changing is less than the pain of things staying the same. And I think we're we're in that environment right now. Um, the upside is that change is happening, mm-hmm. and and we do find a lot of people that are taking a look at um, you know not just a shift in focus from cleaning as as a merely aesthetic way of, of improving your business um, or improving the experience of people who, who, who populate your facility, but um, disinfection now being the primary driver of, of these these cleaning programs. Um, and, I, and I think that's that's a long overdue approach and, and change in perspective on uh, on the, the real tasks and roles of, of housekeepers, cleaning custodians, uh, who really have been misclassified for years, I believe. Uh, I think everyone who, who performs that function is is a, a, a critical piece of the puzzle. I mean, they're, they're all infection preventionists in, in our, our opinion. Um, and, I'm, and I'm glad to see them starting to get some recognition for that as well. Absolutely, I call, I call all of our people first responders in the truest sense. We respond every day. It's not just when something happens, we're responding every single day that we go into an environment to uh, prevent infections. That's the purpose that we're there. Uh, we just haven't termed it that way, and now people are recognizing this fact. Yeah, and that's a great thing, and I, and I hope that continues to endure uh, because we we spend a lot of time. Over fifty percent of of my time is is spent doing training and education, and, and it's not necessarily from uh, from a C-suite standpoint uh you know a lot of a lot of sales and business teaches you you know focus on the top down we believe that's completely uh, flipped on its head in our industry if if you don't focus from the ground up uh you don't get get out there with the people that are actually you know having the greatest effect in doing this on a day-to-day basis then uh you're, you're talking to the wrong crowd and we uh We've seen some tremendous, tremendous people that have, have taken the lead on on helping improve improve these efforts. They they understand the gravity of, of the responsibility of their jobs, uh, and they've they've been able to to have a, a massively significant impact in in helping keep keep people safe. And one of the things that I I mentioned you know early on, and you were talking about theatrics. It's it's a really interesting buzzword that's come to light over the past couple of months. And I, I understand what it what it means. Um, some people consider consider it a negative. Some people are seeing it as a positive. I, I kind of strike a middle of the ground, but it's it's essentially this idea that, you know, we we need to not only ensure that the science and data supports the that cleaning and disinfection programs are working and they're working effectively and it can be backed up and verified, uh, but there's also a massive, massive challenge ahead of us in terms of just restoring confidence in the public. Uh, we we worked with with Delta Airlines and a number of the uh, the airlines in the aviation sector uh, very early on in the outbreak, um, and one of the big challenges was, was we need to take cleaning from 
you know, behind closed doors, you know, it was, it was always done when people weren't around and you tried to hide the fact that, that cleaning was happening for whatever reason. I, I never understood it. Mm -hmm. uh, but now bring it into the limelight because it's going to be one of the biggest factors in, in reinstilling confidence in the public to be able to come back and start flying again or be able to repopulate a restaurant or stay in a hotel. Um, we should be as proactive as, as we can in, in educating people. And uh, one of the best, best ways to do that is, that is to show, show people cleaning and disinfecting. You know, don't just wait until the end of the day. Show that it's being done regularly and frequently. Uh, I love what you're saying there because, you know, you know, we are out of sight, out of mind. And that out of mind means that we have very little value. And thus is the problem that you have with the budget and the funding uh, for the tools and stuff. My only concern is that we still have this, um, and, and I'm, I'm uh, using a very big paintbrush here. We still have a large population of our workforce that are uneducated into proper practices, best practices. And so, and this is evident with the, the videos that we see on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on, and even on the TV of improper practices being put front and center. And so that confidence you're speaking about, I think is being tainted by the misinformation, the misleading advertising. Um, are you fighting that or is this just me? No, I, I definitely see that, but I, I think the I think the real culprits in in this are are not necessarily um, you know people that are are poorly educated. I think it's that the responsibilities of the manufacturers, whether it be of, of equipment or or of EPA registered chemicals um, that are out there, you know, pushing this, whether it's opportunistically or whether they're really delivering value. Um, you know, they should prioritize safety. They should prioritize uh, all the proper education tools and materials to, to ensure that when they put their, their product in the hands of, um, of anybody that's going to use them for cleaning or disinfection, that they've checked the box on all those items and that it, it shouldn't be a, a second thought for somebody to, to use their chemical to clean and disinfect and have to worry about their safety or, or the persistence of that chemical in the environment, uh, especially now that we're, you know, in theory, depending on different industries, applying five to times, five to ten times the amount of disinfectants that historically would have been used in a traditional cleaning protocol. Um, we shouldn't have to worry about what, what the impacts and the long-term effects of that are. So I think the onus really should be on, on the manufacturers of these chemicals and, and products to ensure that they're safely and effectively used and align themselves with the people that are going to do it responsibly uh, to deliver a safe and effective outcome for for everyone, you know, there's, if all you're doing is trying to butter a, a piece of toast, you don't need to put a steak knife in somebody's hands. Mm. Um, and, it, and it shouldn't be a concern of somebody as to the safety of using that to perform a job function where uh, there are, are better and more effective alternatives that exist out there. Well, I think that's correct. And I think the, the thing that has come out of this, and you keep saying this multiple times, and I just want our listeners to, to hear the distinction. There is a distinct difference between cleaning and disinfection. And they are two separate practices. You can't clean and disinfect in one pass. It's two separate things, but you can't disinfect without cleaning. 
but you can clean without disinfecting. So, you know, I, I, I see these uh, advertisements, and I'm just going to say it that way, for lack of better words, uh, uh, publications, whatever it might be, about that, that really bothers me. And that's where we're talking now about having these drones go over large areas and just spray indiscriminately disinfectants on everything. And I think this goes to what you're saying. We can't just be using five times the amount of disinfectant. We're going to create another problem. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I, I think there are, there should be good... The role of a chemical manufacturer, anybody who's putting these programs together, you, you should have a priority on not just effective results, but also safe, safety. And and those two things go hand in hand. And it, it doesn't have to be a compromise one for the other. Um, and you're absolutely right. I don't I don't think any any one particular product or solution is is a silver bullet out there. It's it's a combination of uh, five five or six different chemicals and and tools and the proper protocols and into which they fit that all have to work in sync and in unison. Um, that ultimately comprises a, a complete total environmental hygiene strategy. Uh, there are products out there right now that have some value, long, long-lasting antimicrobial coatings, for instance, uh, which, which I know the EPA is taking a very hard look at right now. There's some value in that, um, but I've seen it positioned, uh, you know, sadly less, less often uh, correctly than I have seen people position it as this, you know, fi- fix all magical solution to the problem that you only have to apply this coating to a surface and for 38 to 90 days it's going to protect you from from you know any surface contamination with COVID or any other pathogen out there that's that's entirely untrue now you're you're right you know we've we've been involved because you know in our classes we have an infection prevention expert class and we've had hundreds of students through it and we talk about all the different chemistries the different application devices and uh, that area of chemistry you're talking about, I call it barrier products. And I always keep telling them, you know, while these products exist, that does not mean that you put it on and you don't have to clean it ever again for 90 days. You still have to clean it. You still have to remove the gross material. Whether you can see it or not, a microbe feeds and lives off of microscopic uh, food. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. You still have to clean it. It just means that you can maybe lessen your disinfection because that surface coating is doing something more. But I think you're right in the fact that this is where we need to be more visible so that people actually can talk talk to us with this stuff. Yeah, I do. I I wholeheartedly agree. And and I think a belt and suspenders approach or an insurance policy, however you want to term these things, is, is never a bad option. Right to to complement cleaning and disinfection with a long-lasting antimicrobial that, even if after two three weeks its its efficacy isn't on par with hospital-grade disinfectant, you know maybe it's ninety-seven percent effective three weeks after application against viruses and bacteria. You know that's that's better than um, an untreated surface that uh, has no protection, but by no means is it a replacement for cleaning and disinfection. It's another tool um, in the toolbox. You know, a mechanic doesn't have just one tool in one toolbox. And, and we're the same way. 
Yeah, and we need that. So I, I think we we as an industry should fully embrace these things. Um, we should see them for what they are, and I think manufacturers have a responsibility to uh, to be honest with the public about the fact that again, there there's no silver bullet, and we should all work more collaboratively. I, I think as as a whole across the industry and. Uh, in making sure that even if it's not our own product line, uh, that we're as synergistic as possible, and we focus on how they all they all play together, as opposed to each standing on its own, because it's it's an interesting thing that that we always encounter. Uh, whenever you're doing a, a clinical efficacy study or or a clinical trial, uh, the challenge is that you know you spend a lot of money on these trials, you spend a lot of time on on producing what hopefully is going to be a positive outcome. Yet there are always a number of variables that are out of your control that could impact the results negatively, um, and that gives people pause. You know, improper hand hygiene. If we're evaluating the effectiveness of a disinfectant at reducing infectious outbreaks, could completely throw the numbers off. Uh, even though you're not a you're not a hand hygiene company, or, or you don't sell uh, hand sanitizers, right? Uh, but we can't shy away from that stuff, and, and that's why I think the focus on on process improvement, uh, as opposed to just you know relying on technology or additional chemicals to solve the problem on their own, uh, is why you know things that you provide and, and education services like that are, are are such such a valuable service right now because you, you mentioned it before, and I think it's it's really important to to acknowledge that. There have been a lot of opportunists that have come out of the woodwork uh, over the past seven months, and everyone posing as infection prevention experts, uh, when in reality, uh, it's a small fraction of them that actually have the proper training, education, experience, and respect for what they do uh, to be able to go in and you know safely say to somebody uh, like a daycare institution that sh- you know, we're going to be able to come in and implement these protocols, but we've done all of our homework. We've done all of our due diligence, and we know how to safely and responsibly use these chemicals to not only, um, you know, prevent infectious outbreaks, but do so without jeopardizing the safety of your children, the staff, or anybody else involved in the process. I've got a few more questions, a little bit more conversation to have with Jeremiah, but I want to take a moment here and let you know that our program here, Beyond Clean with ACE, uh, which is live on Podbean this afternoon, is sponsored by Gym Supply. They are a supplier of chemicals and goods and tools that we've been talking about this afternoon. They've been improving lives with clean supplies since 1930. So if you're in the central Florida or the Florida area, uh, maybe take a look at that. Jeremiah, I want to ask you a question because I think you said a few different things. What do you feel about on-site testing like with ATP? Uh, I know that in healthcare it's not widely accepted, but outside of healthcare, what's been your experience and do you have any input there? ATP has, if used correctly, it provides some value to the process. I think people have a misperception as to what ATP actually measures and tests for. Well, I'll agree Uh, with that. It, it measures the soil load on a surface, you know, and, but it doesn't discriminate or discern between whether or not it's, uh, it's a live active bacteria uh, that could potentially make somebody sick, whether it's beneficial bacteria, whether it's simply somebody uh, spilled milk on a surface and, and there's some residual left over. 
Um, so in terms of measuring cleaning effectiveness, I think it's a great tool. And I think it's a great educational tool because it, it, um, it makes it tangible. Cleaning is, always, cleaning is always one of those interesting things, right? There's a lot of, a lot of assumptions that, that are made because you can't see viruses, you can't see bacteria on a surface. Um, ATP is, is a good way to, to quantify that and actually uh, you know, demonstrate to somebody whether or not cleaning is being done effectively. But in terms of evaluating whether or not disinfection is being done properly, I think that's where ATP has, has some severe limitations. And if it's not utilized to present it correctly, it can create false confidence when um, the threat has not been properly addressed. You know, there, there are a number of ways to throw off ATP tests. Uh, there's a lot of chemical residuals on the surface, probably most importantly, that people aren't aware of. Uh, that could dramatically impact the results of, of ATP. So whether you're using a chlorinated chemistry on a surface um, as part of your cleaning and disinfection protocol uh, or a hydrogen peroxide, for instance, both of those chemistries have completely different interactions uh, with the um, the chemistry that's used during, during the ATP testing process. One produces a false negative, uh, one can produce a false positive. So I think that's a that's an opportunity for people to be more much more educated on on where ATP should be effectively utilized um, and where its limitations really you know don't lend itself to evaluating evaluating whether disinfection is properly happen, happening or not. So Jeremiah, one of the things that you mentioned there, and I really like that, and I want to point this out to our audience this afternoon is uh, you said chemistry and a residue. Now, one of my beliefs and one of the ones that we utilize in almost every infection class here is best practice protocol, however you want to call it, is to always rinse a surface with water afterwards, whether that be a, a vertical surface that I can actually flush with water or if it's a horizontal that I can use a clean rag with just rinse water on it to remove all residues from any previous chemistry or process. Uh, would you feel that that gives a better ATP reading then? It, it would definitely level the playing field. Um, but I think what it, it, it goes back to the, the discussion and challenge we have ahead of us right now in that, you know, this time last year in 2019, before the pandemic hit, the CDC had still estimated that your standard cleaning protocol outside of healthcare still was only only reaching 25% of the surfaces in a room. And now the challenge is even greater uh, that we need to clean and disinfect uh, a larger square footage area, a higher percentage of surfaces in any facility. Um, and we still don't have any more time or money afforded to us. So I think as a best practice, yes, if, if we had all had the time to, to properly rinse the surface after using a cleaner and disinfectant, that's fantastic. Um, I think the challenge that a lot of people st will struggle with is that, um, you know, they can't even get the surfaces cleaned within the allotted time that they have for a hotel room, so to speak, right now. Um, so to add steps to the process is, is, is Probably even more, of a, more of a challenging situation. Yes, and I totally understand that, but you know, this is where we're having to fight two battles right now, as you just said. But the other battle is we've got to fight to get management and facilities to let go of those purse strings to give us that to do do what we really should be if we're going to keep that facility safe. 
So you have the two-edged sword, which actually is cutting both ways, and we're in the middle again. I, I fully agree with you. Um, but these are, these are some of the things that we that we look at, and they're they're fairly complex. Uh, but it, I think opportunities that exist for us to to improve efficiencies, and again. Uh, stretch the dollar or stretch the minute further than we ever have before is you know proper chemical selection first and foremost there's there's for way too long been a compromise that that people have had to make between um, economics and safety you know there's quaternary chemistries for instance um, and uh, apologies if any of your sponsors sell quats but it's uh, it's a chemistry that we feel is is over overutilized in the industry. Um, it has its place. It's, it's very cheap. Um, a lot of cleaning products, even neutral cleaners, contain some quat component to them, uh, and used in you know small numbers and, and small small doses. It's it's not overly concerning. But now in this new environment, where again we're we're applying five to ten times the amount of chemicals on a regular basis, uh, quats really are not the best option for for wide-scale disinfection because they do develop a residual that continues to accumulate on surfaces. Um, dusts from from that residual can kick up in the air and it's it's been directly tied to um, aller allergy triggers, asthma triggers, uh, things like that when people are exposed to it. Um, so in that instance, yes, they, you know, a uh, wet water rinse after heavy use of quats on surfaces is a really, really good practice for anybody to utilize. But there are alternate chemistries out there that wouldn't necessarily, necessarily cause nearly the safety concerns um, with just leaving it on the surface in a, in a no rinse, no wipe scenario um, than some of those quat com compounds will. So, so I think it, it, it really is important that people take a look at all the chemistries that they've been using in the past, whether it's cleaners or disinfectants. Uh, and now be a little more educated in their approach to figuring out whether or not that's the best solution for their business going forward. Because it's very, very common that we'll take a look at, um, you know, at any customer, uh, call, it a, call it a national gym chain. And the first, one of the first things we do in our due diligence is we ask them for the list of all the chemicals they use for their cleaning process. And that list can sometimes be 15 to 20 chemicals long. Oh yes, and we ask them why, and they do. They really can't tell you why they're using fifty percent of what they are. It just so happened that 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 list just kept accumulating and building over time. And uh, the reality is that we can cut fifty, sixty, seventy percent of those out of the process sometimes, and still improve on their outcome as opposed to uh, reducing the effectiveness of their program. So there's, there's plenty of opportunity for us to to identify safer alternatives, uh, reduce chemical surplus, uh, consolidate things down, uh, and implement best practices that can be more effective in the way they apply chemicals and use chemicals. So that, uh, and this isn't fantasy. This happens um, every single day now. There's there's more efficient applicators of chemicals that can produce a positive outcome using up to 60 to 70 percent less disinfectants than uh, traditionally were used to, to do the exact same thing two, three years ago. Yeah, and the necessity is a mother of invention. And while we've been talking about this for several years, in the last six months, technology has just blossomed. You and I would not have been able to talk like this a year ago 
uh, I was struggling to get somebody to come on my podcast and talk. And now I have no problem getting in somebody to talk. And, and I think those are the upsides to the situation we find ourselves because now everybody is talking. And so we've got to go through this time where we, we have to sort through, we have to do our due diligence, and we're finding out, many of our end user clients are finding out there's a lot more options than what they ever thought was available. They thought they only had this limited amount of options. And uh, it, it's, it's a great time for our industry to be very honest about it. I have no problem saying that. I, I think so too. And, and I think it's, it's, an, it's a period of transformative change and there will, be, there will be companies whose business models don't lend themselves to adapting to this, this pace of change um, all that well. And there are ones that are, are more nimble and, and can embrace it. And I think those are the ones that are going to help drive the processes of the future. Well, um, we have three words that we use here on the, on the podcast. Um, and it's ones that, that, that we developed many years ago. It's we want to talk about healthy, positive, and proactive things. And this is what we're talking about this afternoon is if you're in the business mode to use those three words, you're going to prosper, you're going to move forward, you're going to be doing the right thing, you're going to be saving lives and, and having safer facilities. If those three words are problematic for you, you're probably going to be struggling come this next year. I, I fully agree. And I, I know firsthand how gratifying it can be to, to see the outcome of, of taking the approach that you just laid out, um, as opposed to being solely driven by, you know, your your barometer for success being how many millions of gallons of chemicals you can sell on an annual basis. <laughs> Jeremiah, it's been a great afternoon talking with you. I'm glad that uh, we uh, stuck through the challenges of getting you on this afternoon. Um, any parting words? And, and also, I want you to make sure that people know how to get a hold of you and, and Ursaf. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very much appreciative of, of the opportunity to come on. Uh, I feel as if we could talk for two to three hours about this. It's, it's such an important, important thing. Uh, that's, well, you that's can always come back. Us. You can always come back, Jeremiah. Happy to. Now, now that I know how to call in and log in, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen much quicker. But um, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it's going to be a painful couple months still. I know the challenge everyone is probably looking at right now, anyone that has kids especially, is, is how to adapt their lives to a hybrid school model, which is happening all across the country. And my, my family is affected by it just, just like everybody else is right now. Um, but we're also seeing a tremendous amount of unity and collaboration out there. And I think if, if people can maintain their focus on improving and use this as a, as a launch pad for putting processes, programs, protocols in place that are, are not only safer, more effective, um, we can all lay a foundation for a much, much better future and a, and a more positive outcome once this, this crisis is over. And I think we'll all look, look back and reflect fondly on the fact that you know, it, was a, it was a painful transition, but it got us to a point where we needed to be that otherwise may have taken five or 10 years to get there. Um, so my my company, EarthSafe, again, we're we're wholly committed to to developing best practice programs and protocols for a number of ministries. Whether it's a uh, a large you know a global initiative like an international hotel chain, which which we just just worked very closely with through the aviation sector, um, 
that we we feel that's the right approach, and uh, and a lot of people have, have been embracing it. So we're we're happy to advise on any industry out there and any people who are scared or nervous about how they're going to going to rise to the challenges of of this new reality. Uh, everybody can, and um, and we're here to help. An email for you, Jeremiah. Uh, our, our our website address is is evaclean, e v a c l e a n dot com, and you can find all all information about uh, some of the services that that we provide and uh, easily get you in touch with any number of our our consultants across the country that uh, that work with people every day. Okay, so I have one question before I let you go this afternoon, Jeremiah. Actually, actually, I'm going to I'm going to say back up. I'm going to say two. Um, where 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 is your your uh, birth country? My birth country? Yes. I'm in the United States. I I grew up in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay, so you're you're still up there in Pennsylvania, right? I'm just outside of Boston now, but I I like to throw people off by pronouncing my R's. Ah, okay. Uh, and um. What is on your personal bucket list for the rest of this year? Something you, that you want to achieve for yourself personally, not business-wise. What an interesting question. The, the nature of our business for the past seven months has been completely non, non-stop, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a fantastic three-year-old daughter and a, and a five-year-old son who... Uh, I think it's it's ironic, and I, I know I'm not the only person who feels this way, but in the months that we had to work from home, socially distanced, not in the office, you would think that it's a, it's a great thing to be able to spend more time. In reality, um, me and a lot of other people had spent less time with our families than we ever had before, just tucked away on late night Zoom calls and emergency response sessions and all that stuff. So I think my, my bucket list for 2020 would be to to take a, a a five five day break at the beach, knowing full well that we're we're over the hump on this stuff. If we can can manage to get to that point, just to kind of reset, reboot, and have have a lot of renewed optimism going in the next year. I think that so where, the where, where, where's it. that where's that beach, Jeremiah? Uh, if you can dodge the great white sharks in Cape Cod right now, where it's uh, it's a great place to be for the next next month and a half or two months still. Well, here's here's wishing to you to be able to get to the beach with your family and enjoy five days off. Thank you very very much. I I would wish it on anybody else out there listening that's that's been in the same situation. Well, I think that's something that we all and I, and and the reason I ask that is because you know the thing is is uh, we're this industry is made of people. Uh, people are the most valuable resource in our industry. Uh, we want to keep people engaged, and that's why we have this podcast, why we wanted you on, Jeremiah, uh, champion the, the message, uh, grabbing hold of the challenges, moving the best practice message forward. Uh, I love hearing what you're saying. It uh, coincides with what we do here at the Academy. Folks, you've been listening to another episode. I think we're at like episode 62 or 63 or 4, somewhere in that area for this year. We appreciate every time that you listen to us, like, share any of our videos. We've got the YouTube channel. Our website is academyofcleaning.com. 
you can choose from any delivery method of the nearly 40 courses that we have available for you. By all means, get some professional development, uh, whether it be from us or from anybody else that's giving you true professional development. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about out there, folks. Hopefully we'll see or hear from you again on another podcast. Every time that you have any communication, make sure that it's healthy, positive, and proactive. That's all for us today. We've done two podcasts today, so we're going to say goodbye for the week. Jeremiah, thank you for being on. Thanks so much for what you do. Take care.